Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science in the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, March 20th, 2009. I'm Alana Rangi. Every week on Science in the City, we introduce you to some of the world's most impressive scientists. Some have Nobel Prizes, some head up major research companies, and some are elbow deep in their own labs making the next great discoveries. But where do these scientists come from? That's the story Richard and Carol Rifkin wanted to tell in their newest documentary film, Naturally Obsessed, The Making of a Scientist. This week, we look at the making of the film and some of the real-life characters who help tell the story of what it takes to be a scientist. In May of 1959, British novelist and physicist C.P. Snow delivered his infamous Two Cultures lecture. What he didn't know was that the gap between science and the humanities he so vividly described would still persist 50 years later. That's why on May 9, 2009, Science in the City, the Science Communication Consortium, Science Debate 2008, and Discover Magazine bring you Two Cultures in the 21st Century, a full-day conference at the New York Academy of Sciences. We'll bring together visionaries, scientists, authors, and the media to explore the persistence of the two cultures gap and how we can overcome it. Join Pulitzer Prize winner E.O. Wilson, former Congressman John Porter, Segway inventor and entrepreneur Dean Kamen, and many others at this historic event. Early bird pricing lasts until April 1st. For more information, visit www.nyas.org slash two cultures. Here's this week's podcast. There is a certain species of scientists that I refer to as being naturally obsessed. There's this itch or this anxiety that you have that can only be supplied by knowing. What gets me to work every day is that maybe today I'll have the answer to this question and then I'll have more questions that I'll be able to ask. It's like a challenge every day. You want to know why this works or how this works. You're just driven to find out. One of the best things you can do as a scientist is to suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder so that you become obsessed with the problem and can't stop working on it until you get to your answer. Natural obsession with a problem is something most scientists possess. It's also something New York filmmakers Carol and Richard Rifkin thought could be the focus of their next documentary film. Richard Rifkin is the chairman emeritus of the Sloan Kettering Institute for Cancer Research in New York City. He's also a science legend at Columbia University. His wife, Carol, is an author and educator. Together, they wanted to tell the story of life in a lab, following PhD students through their degree. The job that we undertook was to find a laboratory where the personalities of the people in it were interesting enough to carry a story. The problem was, you, just like in doing science, you start a project, you don't know if you're ever going to find the way out. And we didn't know whether we would finish. We knew one thing that I think gave us an advantage over studio production of film, which we knew that we were going to stick with it until it was done, no matter how long it took. Because that's your commitment to any experiment. You're going to keep going until it's over. In the Rifkin's case, it took them three years of filming and one year in the edit room before they got their story. But they got it, 
And that story is about the molecular biology lab of Larry Shapiro. My name is Lawrence Shapiro. I'm an associate professor of biochemistry at Columbia University. And I run a research lab that is a structural biology laboratory. We determine atomic level structures of biological molecules so that we can understand how they function. I had met Dick because I had been recruited and had a job offer at Sloan Kettering when he was the head of, of Sloan Kettering. And interestingly, I, I turned him down, but that was okay. We had met during that, that process, which was actually a pretty long process. And then when they decided to do a film, uh, they came here to Columbia and spoke to me about it and presented it as a question, who should we do this film with? And of course, I listed all the exciting laboratories. I think there are many more exciting laboratories in New York than ours, and suggested that they uh, uh, work with many of these different exciting people. By the third visit, though, they came back by the third visit, and I had never mentioned the possibility of doing it with us. And Dick said, Larry, we want to do this with you. Naturally Obsessed follows three PhD students, but focuses on the story of Rob Townley, who came to Larry's lab after being kicked out of another lab at Columbia. No, I was thrown out of the lab that I used to be in. I was a bad person. I was just mean, and I wasn't very cooperative. She got tired of it. Yeah, she booted me. After a month of asking people whether or not I could work in their lab, I went into Larry's office. I told him, hey, I'm a student. I need a professor. I'm a loose cannon. I got no cash. I'm guaranteed to cause you pro problems. Right? Will you hire me? He's like, you can come next next Monday and come to work. And I said, uh, well, you should really, you really need to talk to my, my former boss. And he goes, there's nothing that she can say that would make me not want to hire you. Rob, from speaking to him, when he first came to the lab and stuck his head in my door and said, I need a professor, <laughs> and explained to me his situation for five minutes, but then we spoke science for an hour. And I knew that I could tell two things. One, Rob was slightly crazy, or I should say uh, had an extremely exuberant personality. But the second one is that Rob was really smart, and Rob really knew the literature on his particular topic, and it was clear that he was devoted and held science in a very reverential position, and I, I, I think that those are some of the most important qualities for a scientist. And so as I had told him I, I didn't need to speak to his former advisor, I was entirely willing to take a chance on him, and uh, ultimately I was proven correct. The film follows Rob's four-year quest for a PhD trying to solve the metabolic molecule AMP kinase using a technique called protein crystallography. The first step is to modify the protein so that he can produce crystals. The crystals must be good enough to diffract x-rays at the synchrotron. From the information in the diffraction pattern, Rob has to calculate the structure of AMPK. He'll have to figure out the position of each of its thousands of atoms in three-dimensional space. It will look something like a very complex tinker toy with a lot of moving parts. When we finally know what it looks like, we hope to discover how it works. 
But perhaps the most defining feature of crystallography, as Carol Rifkin and Larry point out, is that it's extremely chancy. The nature of crystallography, as you see in the movie, is that it's all or nothing. If you don't get a crystal, you can't go on to the next step of discovering how these uh, molecules actually work, sort of seeing the crystal. There's almost no other kind of uh, biological research that has such all or nothing results. We really get to a result that we're excited about and is useful to us once we get to this three-dimensional structure. And there are many, many, many steps along the way to get to it as shown in the film. It could be better shown, but, but a lot of the intermediate steps have been taken out to make it more palatable to a general audience, so it's, it's even worse than is shown in the film. Until you get to that structure, which often take many years of work, three, four years would be average, you really don't have anything of interest. So in that sense, you are graded pass-fail on uh, something that requires about three or four years of work, and it is possible to fail, and that does make it really exciting. In fact, it's possible to fail at every one of many, many steps along the way. The film tracks the students as they struggle to get their proteins to crystallize, and once that happens, follows them to the Brookhaven National Laboratory's synchrotron. A synchrotron is a subatomic particle accelerator used to diffract X-rays off the protein crystals. It's also the ultimate crux of the crystallography puzzle. Sometimes X-rays diffract perfectly off proteins, and sometimes they don't. Kilpatrick Carroll was a PhD student in Larry's lab and is a central character in Naturally Obsessed. How many failures did you have with the synchrotron? Oh my god, I, I can't even count. I must have gone... Uh... Well, that's the real, I mean, what do you define as failure, right? I mean, if by failure you mean I came back without data that I could use to build a map and a model, then probably 20 to 25 times. Maybe 15 to 20, but definitely at least 15 times. But if by failure you mean like having learned nothing or not coming back with any, any better ideas, then zero times. I mean, every time we went to the synchrotron, you bring crystals, and those crystals they tell you things. If they, I mean, if you're hitting the crystal with a beam of x-rays and there are no diffraction pattern, there's no diffraction pattern, there's no spots, then it's either it's not a protein crystal or it's a terrible protein crystal. And either of those two things are probably, th that's, that's good information, right? So in the future, you wouldn't make any more of those crystals, right? So you would make other crystals. And then it's almost like a process of natural selection whereby if you have a series of three or four crystals from a certain screen, you can go and take all four of them, see which ones work the best, and then try and improve those, or, or come up with ideas to improve the other crystals that, that make sense based on what you're saying. The synchrotron is the be-all, end-all. It's the decider. It makes decisions on your life and your career. Put things in front of it, and it decides for you. You know, there's no intermediate steps. It's all or nothing. You've either got structure and it's good, or you've got nothing. We went through five editors, mostly on the issue of handling the science. But the editor who put the, and you learn each time, it's a, it was part of the experiment, but the editor who um, stayed with it the longest, I think set the standard for how much science, which is practically none. <laughs> uh, we would have been tempted to try to put in more, and it would have been destructive. Why do you think it would have been destructive? Because no matter what you tell a non-science audience, yeah there's something they still don't understand. And yet you keep going back and back and back to a more and more elementary form of science. 
and you, you can almost never get to it's like one of these impossible steps you can't get there Deciding how much of the actual science to include in the film was one of the Rifkin's most difficult jobs. Accessibility was a goal for the filmmakers, and crystallography is a complicated science. Despite their dramatic simplification of the process, Larry says the science cuts it. It certainly does justice from the personal standpoint. When scientists in the field certainly see the film, they realize that a lot has been stripped out to make it uh, uh, easier to digest for general audience. In fact, during the filming, Carol Rifkin, who is the more vocal of the two Rifkins in uh, her directorial style, uh, would often interrupt us and say, no technical language, no technical language, stop, try to say that without technical language, which eventually we learned to do to some extent, but still much of that uh, remains on the cutting room floor. But that's fine. I, and, you know, I certainly understand what they were going for in the film, and I think that they achieved it better than I would have hoped for. I've spent most of my life trying to become the kind of scientist that I am now, and I'm not a quarter of the way yet to where I, I finally want to be. And uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it's all I am. Uh, I, I wouldn't know what to do unless I was a scientist. People always ask, naturally obsessed, and they like to uh, explain that, well, dancers or basketball players or scientists. You know, what is an element of, of obsession? And that's hard. It gets a little poetic. But it's actually, in real terms, it means that you're learning this field means you're going to become that person. When you're finished, you are a ballerina, a basketball star, a scientist. You have transformed yourself. And that's the obsession, I think. It's the commitment in a formative period of your life. Early 20s, you've had an education. I'm going to take five years and more, really 10 years, and I'm going to transform myself. I'm going to be somebody else not just Rob Townley, I'm going to be Rob Townley's scientist. Larry Shapiro's scientist, Kilpatrick Carroll's scientist. All right, yeah, there is a favorite scene. You're trying to tell the story, you have to change, show the characters changing. And you don't quite have it on, I mean, what is a character changing? What is that? So we constructed it. Which, which? It, was, it was our artistry. Rob, Rob has... Is uh, he, he had flunked out? He challenged Larry in this mofo scene, and then he goes on to successful. How do I explain it? Um, and so we concocted this scene. We showed him far away from the camera. We made this weird music. We had a slow motion of the turn of the stir in the, in the bottle. We had twanging electric guitar and silence. And Rob says, "I'm not going to be a rebel anymore. I'm going to go for it." Everybody here is on my side. There's nobody here to rebel against. And I'm done, man. I'm going straight for this thing, you know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like a like a child anymore. Rob had his ups and downs in the film, but after he resigns to really focus, things start coming together for him. He gets the protein crystals and they diffract in the synchrotron. Then, it's up to Rob to use that data to solve the structure of the AMP kinase molecule. 
Once he got the data, what do you do with it? A structure is an avalanche of data. Where do you go from there? I had thought that I would just get the data and then leave, but now there's this process of taking the data and transforming it into some scientific concept or idea. What Rob is looking at on the screen, there are 9,073 atoms. And that's why there's so much data in this, because we are actually finding the three-dimensional position of, in this case, uh, over 9,000 atoms. This file, which has 10,000 lines of data in it, is a description of that molecule that he is manipulating. This is a very intense time to see the molecule begin to reveal its secrets in front of you uh, is, a, is a pretty stunning thing. And, and I knew the importance of what I was doing. And Larry and I had it in front of us, right? We, we saw the way that the AMPK was regulated and nobody else knew that, right? And I, you can, I don't mean to be so melodramatic about it, but it's, that's what you live for in science, right? That's, it's fun, and it, it's not really an overstatement. I mean, we really did understand it in a way, and, and I'd been thinking about this problem for a very long time. Larry, Larry's deceptive. I mean, he, he wasn't giving me you know, complete and total attention a lot of time, but once he saw the result, then he just seized upon it, and he knew exactly what it meant, right? And, and that's great. We were two scientists. We knew what the questions were, and we saw the answer. Spoiler alert. Rob gets his PhD. And Rob and Larry's paper on the structure of the AMPK molecule is published in Science. But the journey wasn't easy, and you don't have to be a scientist to understand that. Carol says this is something they were aiming for, but it had an added result they weren't expecting. One of the byproducts that we had no idea at all we would achieve is the fact that the film helps scientists to feel justified in what they do. That, as Larry says in the film, you know, we're fringe. Scientists feel at the fringe of the world. Not many people understand us. They don't know what we do. They think we're nerds, all of these things. We've, we've had scientists say just these words, you've made me, I want to take this home and show this film home and show it to my family. They don't know what I do. I want people to see this so they understand me. That's a very interesting thing, and the, the importance of a scientist feeling part of a larger community is a problem that's not often addressed, but when you come to issue of ethics and society, scientists need to feel their identity as, as part of a, of, a, of a total society. Naturally Obsessed is a movie about the making of scientists. It crunches the process of becoming a scientist into a feature-length documentary, but it takes years. Despite this, Larry maintains he knows the students in his lab will all eventually get there. For, for me, having been in this, I mean, having been in crystallography now for about 20 years, the students don't know it'll work. I know eventually it'll work. I know that with enough focused thought and effort, we're going to get to the answer. And done this for a lot of molecules. And it, it's true that we've given up on one or two because we decided our efforts could be spent better elsewhere. But for the ones that we kept in our sights, we've gotten every one. And so I know, I knew it would work. The tough part is convincing the students to believe because they haven't seen it before. For more information on Naturally Obsessed, including showtimes and screenings, visit naturallyobsessed.com.
For Science in the City, I'm Alana Rangi. Do you love Science in the City podcasts? There are a couple ways you can show your support. First, you can become a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. You can do that by going online at www.nias.org. Second, get your name and advertising in a Science in the City podcast by sponsoring one. For more information, email Adrian Burke at A-B-U-R-K-E at nyas.org. Did you know you can subscribe to Science in the City podcast on iTunes and get our newest story every week downloaded automatically to your iTunes library? Search Science in the City in your iTunes search bar. If you have any questions or comments about our show, we would love your feedback. Please send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or you can leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. And don't forget to check us out online, scienceinthecity.org. See you next week.